morning. Hey, if you're visiting, hey, I want to welcome you too. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and um, really glad you're with us today. We are um, uh, we're in the middle of a series. We've been talking about our finances, talking about giving, and kind of specifically to this point, just kind of walking our way through some different reasons why it's important for giving to kind of be this discipline in our lives. Two weeks ago, Mark kicked us off. We talked about, really, it's just we need to make sure it's, it's the right thing to do. God has commanded it, but it's even deeper than that. Before there were even Bible commands, Cain and Abel knew just, just principally that in their heart that it was right for them to take what God has given them to recognize, hey, God has given me everything in your Lord that I need, to give, I need to give you an offering. I need to give you part of this back to show my love and devotion for you. And then last week we talked about how God blesses us, that God blesses generosity and then we, we desperately want God's blessing. We desperately want it over our finances. And He's told us that when we are generous people, that God will overwhelmingly bless us. And over the course of these, this series so far, we've kind of looked at a couple of Old Testament stories. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Cain and Abel. Last week, we talked about the story of Elijah and a widow and how God kind of supernaturally blessed her for her generosity to the prophet Elijah. And last week, I referenced that Elijah was kind of that story. Main, although not familiar to a lot of us, it's actually kind of in what I call the, the 52-week Sunday school rotation for me growing up. That There were these 52 stories, and you just kind of heard them each once every year. So I was thinking about this week. This is kind of what I do. I'm weird. Don't judge me. I was thinking about, like, what would, like, if you had to rank them, like, what would the top five, if you only got, you only got five kids' stories that you could tell, what would the top five be? And, of course, Christmas and Easter, obviously tied for number one, right? So it's, you, only have, you only have three left, three kids' stories. So help me out here. What would you put in that top five? Jonah and the whale. There's a great one. David and Goliath. You guys are on top of it. Noah's Ark, the sanitized version. Not the death and destruction and the wiping out of 99.9% of the population. I didn't like that. Just two animals, two by two. Cutely walking to the ark. Um, right. And so one that I would put on that list, I don't know if it's quite top five, you know, if after doing this with you guys, like maybe, may, maybe I would put Jonah in place of this one, but it's definitely top ten. And the reason why this one was, was, was so good is because, again, the, like, 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 like David and Goliath, the, the, the main character here is kind of is a kid, you know, he, David was just a kid, and he slayed the giant, and you're a kid, and you can kill giants. I don't, but anyways, so this, kid is, so this kid gives his food away, and God uses it to feed all these people. And you, kid, God wants to do cool things in your life like a kid. And I don't mock that. That's actually really good. I mean, this little, this, this kid because of his generosity and because of his willingness to be used, I mean, God does something really cool. And so the feeding of the 5,000, I think, kind of, it, it, it ends up being at least a top 10 uh, for kids because I think it really does. It's just one of those things that kind of shows that kids matter. I mean, also with that, you know, having the kids come to Jesus and sit on his knees, don't let the kids, you've got to put that one on there, right? Anything, anything with kids as the main characters, you've got to put in there. But the story of feeding the 5,000, I, th- I think um, it's one of those things that we, we just need to make sure we don't relegate that to kid's story. It's not simply a kid's story, and it's not just something, a uh, cool kind of, wow, that was neat what Jesus did there by, by ma- feeding all those people. 
There's actually, I think, some really important principles about giving and about what, about, about what God will do in you, what God will do through you, when we have hearts to say that my life, my resources, everything that I am, I, I want to give that back to God. And so we're going to look at this. It's in John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had had all, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Um, so we got this story here, and um, you know Jesus is starting to attract a crowd because of all the healing. There's a lot of hype around him and his ministry right now, and suddenly a crowd of at least 5,000 men were there. So they're not completely clear this 5,000 men. Is it a reference to just the, the, the adult men? If so, then there were you know, over 10,000 people there. But even if it were just 5,000, we've got 5,000, at least 5,000 people here. And um, a lot of these people, they're, they're, they're amongst the poor and have a lot of need. And, and so Jesus kind of looks at his disciples and says, a lot of people here. And then he asks a question, and the way he phrases it is really kind of designed to provoke them a little bit. He says, where are we going to buy enough food for these people? Which is, which is a question really without a good solution. Because, wait, seriously, where, where would you find any place that would have enough food to feed 5,000 people a meal? There is no place. And then, and then um, Philip's like, well, that, that doesn't even make any sense. So even you could find that place... We, I don't know if you remember, we have no money. We don't have any money, and even if we did money, there would be no place where we could do this. And, and you know, in, in, the, in the kid telling of the story, you know, Philip gets judged, right? You know, how you don't have any faith, right? And I'm like, dude, that's, that's the only answer to that question. Uh, there isn't one. Where are we going to buy food? We aren't. And, um, you know, that's, I mean, so, I mean, that's, it makes sense. But, you know, uh, we got Andrew here who is, a, who is, I don't know, an optimist, an idiot, uh, just a solution. He's a solutions kind of guy. He's been working the crowd. He's been working the crowd. Hey, uh, we're trying to figure out how we're going to feed all these people. And this kid's like, I have my lunch. Great. Come on. 
what he thought. I have no idea what Andrew thought was going to happen here. But at least he didn't just take the kid's lunch. That would be bad. He's like, man, I don't know what Jesus is going to do. I don't know what he has in mind. If you'll just come up here with me, I'm just going to show him this is all the food we've got, and then he's just going to figure out we just need to let this go. So come on, kid. I'll give you a lunch back here in just a second. So at least he brings the kid with him, which is good. And um, he says, man, I got this kid, and he's got uh, enough lunch for one kid, which, which, you know, I mean, now they only have to feed four nine nine nine, right? I mean, and, and, and Jesus says, sit down, have everybody sit down. And then he does this incredible miracle where he takes this one little bit of lunch and starts just kind of breaking it out and passing it out to the point to where everybody had, not all that they needed, so they got everything they needed, so they, every, they, 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 ate, they had everything that they wanted to eat. And, I go, and, and Jesus, to make sure everybody fully gets the impact of this miracle, he says, just gather up the scraps. And so what, what started with a little bit of lunch turns into feeding 5,000 at least beyond what they even needed to, be, to eat everything they wanted. And then they gathered up, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 times as much food as they started out with. And it's, and it's an incredible miracle. And, 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 it's, and it's an amazing story that we need to make sure, again, doesn't get relegated to fun story to tell kids about how God can use kids too, right? Because there's some really cool principles here that I think that, again, that will help us understand, I think, why sometimes we don't give. Will help us give us, hopefully, better motivation to give by seeing what God will do in you and then what God will do through you. So, again, we have this situation. Make sure we give fully grasp it. Thousands of people. No food. This kid is willing to give his lunch. And what should be obvious is this, is what the boy gave was small relative to the need. What he gave was small relative to the need. There was an overwhelming need that you know, his lunch was not going to make a difference. We need to feed 5,000 people. One lunch for one boy doesn't change the, the need at all. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. It, it, is, it is too small to really have impact on what the need was. And honestly, I think right there, if we'll just stop right there, that principle, I think, keeps us sometimes from giving. I think that idea just is like, it's like there's this huge need in the world. I want to make a difference in eradicating world poverty. So I'm going to give $5 a month to this ministry. I think you would know your $5 a month is not going to eradicate world hunger. And so I think that feels discouraging to some of us. It feels like it doesn't, it doesn't matter, that it's not really making a difference. And so, I think some of us, for good reasons, allow that. I mean, not good reasons, but kind of sincerely, just kind of, it just kind of overwhelms us and discourages us. Some of us, I think, it's, we're just kind of using it as an excuse. I mean, we'll make a difference anyway. I might as well just hold on to it, right? And so, you're part of a church, like our church. Maybe so we need about $13,000 a week. Well, I don't have $13,000 a week. What can I do? 
you know, somebody is raising support to go do this incredible missions work and they need to raise about $100,000. I don't have $100,000. What's my $100 going to do? And we use that either out of genuine discouragement or just an excuse to say it's not going to make a difference. Now, I'm going to tell this story, and it's a story that should be familiar to some of you. We're going to talk about it all throughout this. This journey that my family went on, which about eight years ago, it was a little bit, it was in the, the spring of uh, eight years ago that my family, we decided that we were going to make the journey to become uh, foster parents. And um, we, we started, we started in, um, in February, March, and then took some classes throughout the summer, had all these things you had to do. And we ended up being open as a foster family in November of 2011. And our very first placement was a four-day-old girl that was part of, part of our, um, uh, the, she, was, she was the first one, precious little baby girl. And over the course, we were foster parents for 11 months. We were foster parents for 11 months. We had the baby girl that was put into our home when she was four days old. And then for another month or so, we had a, a boy that was, a four-year-old boy that was a part of our family there for a, a month or two. So in our 11-month tenure as foster parents, we had two placements. This boy for two months and this girl for 11 months, who we had the privilege, m- many of you know, um, we had the privilege 11 months later of adopting her, and she has been a part of our home ever since, and she is uh, almost seven and a half years old now, and she is amazing. And it was a great, uh, it was a great thing that happened for us. Layla's involvement in our life is, has, has been the, the, the richest, greatest blessings that the, the other four of us that, um, could have ever imagined. But I asked this question a little bit rhetorically. Did our 11 months as foster parents, did it help fix the problem that we have in the United States with foster parents and the need for foster parents and the overwhelming need that foster children have in Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas and and in the U.S.? Did we make a difference in the big picture problem? Now, you want to say yes, and I asked the question differently in the first service. The dude shouts, yes, and I'm like, you're skipping to the end of the sermon, right? The reality of it is, the problem is as bad or worse now as it was when we did this. In our 11 months, while we made a difference, you know, maybe for those two, or the problem is still huge and overwhelming. And our little bit didn't really move the needle. So should that idea keep us from doing what we can? Because sometimes a lot of the the issues out there in foster care um, and foster kids is is a big one for that. Sometimes it feels like the assignment is, hey guys, here's what we're going to go do. We're going to go into the, to the, to the, to the most powerful part of the Mississippi River. And we're going to go stand in the middle of it. And we're going to tell that water, stop. That's what we're going to do. And you stand there, he's like, that's a a great assignment. And at the end of that, you're really not going to feel like you made a huge lot of difference. You're going to be really wet and tired and exhausted. Right? And you think, what what are we even doing? And sometimes issues like that, foster care, poverty, um, the need for Jesus all around the world, it can feel like it's too overwhelming. And that what I have to give, both either, either with my time or my financial resources, isn't really making a difference. But thankfully, even though this was true of that kid, um, he did not allow that to discourage him from giving. 
So what the boy gave was small relative to the need, but there's also another part of it that we need to make sure we also understand, that what the boy gave was actually large relative to what he had. It was small relative to the need, but what he gave was large relative to what he had. That was all of his food. That is the food that he had for the day. Probably very fortunate in that society, probably in, the, in a lot of poverty where he was. He's probably very fortunate to have had a lunch at all. Very fortunate to have had any food at all. And everything that he had to eat probably for that day, he says, well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just give you that. You, 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 you can have my lunch. And just imagine, just imagine if you've ever seen this in a, in a, in a, in a kid, it's, it's beautiful. No, no sense of himself, no sense of what he needed. All he knew is that Jesus was really cool and his followers were going around asking, does anybody have any food? He's like, I got food. You can have my lunch. But that, you know, he says that. And like, now what's he going to eat? It was, a, it was a big sacrifice that he made. It wasn't really necessarily going to make a huge difference in the problem, but it was big to him. Now, if you put both of those things together, you come up with a really good reason why a lot of us, or it seems like a good reason, why a lot of us choose not to give. This need is overwhelming. What I have isn't going to make that big of a difference to the need, but I would really miss it if it were gone. It, would probably, it means more to me than it would mean to meeting this need I should, just, I should just hold on to it. It's not going to make a difference anyway, and if we didn't have it, I don't know what would happen. And so we tend to, out of fear then, and some sort of over-rationalizing of what you can do with what you have compared to the need, we decide that it won't matter anyway, I'll just hold on to it. And we stay on the sidelines. And we don't serve to help meet the need we don't take what god has given us and apply that and give it to this cause that we that god that god is that matters it's important to god that god is wanting you to be involved in because you convince yourself that it would be too great of a sacrifice and it wouldn't make a difference anyway i mean i would make the sacrifice i'm not a totally selfish person i would make the sacrifice if i thought it could make a difference but it's not going to make a difference it's stupid to make the sacrifice and so we talk ourselves out of it. And I remember, again, it was the summer of 2011. We were taking our older two daughters. We were taking them to, uh, to Camp War Eagle that summer. And um, while they were gone, uh, Heidi and I were going to start these classes that we needed to take after we kind of done some initial background checks and things. And so we're just kind of talking to them. We've been talking about it a little bit all along about becoming foster parents. And, and that our plan was is that we hoped that we would be able to adopt uh, a kid, but mostly we you know, were there to be foster parents and to love the kids that, that God's put in our home and be able to send them back. And explaining to them, I was like, well, this, is, this is not nothing. I mean, this is going to be something. I mean, it's going to be a sacrifice. And if we're going to do this, we need to make sure that we're clear. And they're like, well, Dad, what? What? What would, the, what would the sacrifice be? And I'm trying my best to come up with everything possible that will change about their lives if we were to do this. 
you know, uh, you know, we, we limited resources that we wouldn't be able to go out to eat as much. We wouldn't be able to go on the trips that we normally would. And, you know, normally we're all there for the soccer practice and the soccer games. Like, we're not all going to be able to do that. We're going to have little kids and we're going to have to stay at home. And so we're not going to be able to be together and, and all of these different things. I'm just like, and, and just coming up with everything that I can think of that you would think would resonate with the mind of a 14, 11-year-old girl. It's like, this is a sacrifice. This is something. And after it was over with, they both said, so that's it? Yeah? Oh, we should totally do this then. Of course this would be worth it. Of course we should do this. And so it was not that it was because it was no sacrifice at all. It was their perception of what, what could happen was so much greater than the potential sacrifice. But sometimes we get stuck simply at sacrifice. And then we get stuck in this narrow idea of this small thing that I do can't make a difference. And we lose sight of this greater, bigger picture of what God can and will do when you take what He's given you and give it back. Because even though what the boy gave was small relative to the need and what the boy gave was large relative to what he had, what Jesus did with it is beyond comprehension. What Jesus was able to take with that small amount and the incredible impact that that boy was able to have with just his lunch, it's beyond comprehension. It is, in fact, a miracle. It is a miracle what Jesus was able to do. A small, relative to the problem, sacrifice. A big sacrifice relative to his own needs. That Jesus was able to multiply that. He was able to multiply that to feed at least 5,000 people. Not only to feed 5,000 people for that one day, but my guess is, like he said, hey, gather it up because we don't want anything to go to waste. He probably he's giving out goodie bags at the end, right? Hey, you're probably not going to have any food for tomorrow too. Here's a snack for tomorrow. He's feeding 5,000 people for multiple days. And let's be honest. This kid's a legend. Billions of people have heard this story about this kid. Billions of people have been inspired by his sacrifice. No one knows his name, but everybody knows who he is. And I'm telling you right now in heaven, there's a line. Where's the kid at with the, with the fish and the bread? I heard about him. Is he here somewhere? I want to say, say hi to him. 
This dude is an eternal legend. Can you imagine 2,000 years later, this one story, this one small thing that you did is still rippling all over the world. That's what happened to this kid. Because in one moment, he said, sure, you can have my lunch if this will help. And God multiplied the impact not only for that immediate need, but all over the world for thousands of years. And until the end of time, this story will continue to make an impact in the lives of people. Because one little boy in one moment said, you can have what I have, you can have it. And God multiplied it. So I asked the question, did, you know, did, did we make a difference in the foster care system? From that situation, well, I guess we didn't. Any more than this kid fixed global poverty, right? But if I were to ask a question, did we make a difference in our short 11-month stint as, um, as foster parents? And the obvious answer to that question is yes. Not only in changing the course of the life of this one awesome little girl that we have in our home who is seven and a half years old now. She and I have been hanging out a lot lately. She is just a huge, tremendous blessing. Um, our middle daughter, Lauren, and, and my wife, Heidi, they're on Lauren's senior trip. They've been in Italy since Wednesday morning. And Maylee is on a mission trip. And so it's just been me and the seven-year-old. And as long as pizza rolls and apples are nutritious, um, we're doing just fine. You can pray for her. we got another week. we got another, we got another we got another six days of just us. But honestly, she's like, I would say she's one of my best friends. Uh, we, we hang out a lot together, and I love her to death, and we like the same things, and um, we just have a lot of fun. And she's been a huge, tremendous blessing to our family. So yeah, we've made a difference, made a difference in us. It's so obviously it's made a huge difference in the trajectory of where her life was headed. But in addition to that, I can think of a dozen families that have become foster parents, at least in part by looking and seeing our example and us talking about it. And at least six or seven of those families have adopted people out of that. And I have no idea how many other families, because of the example of those 12 families, have said, well, maybe we should do it too. I have no idea. I just know that just in the families that are connected, even in that circle, hundreds of kids and hundreds of families have been loved and served. And I'm going to guess that one, at least one of those kids is going to do something incredible for God and go all around the world and do something amazing. And that there is this rippling effect that is going to happen because you make a difference in the life of a few people who impacts these people, who impacts these people, and it is going to just reverberate for years and years to come. And I'll say this, I'm a legend what we've done has changed the course of history and is going to have worldwide impact for generations to come. One relatively small act, which felt like a sacrifice, has incredible worldwide impact. And that is true of every dollar that you give back to God. 
when you give, let's say I'm just going to give a dollar to the Grove Church today. You're going to help plant churches. You're going to help uh, impact college students all over the U.S. That money is going to India. That money is going to China. That money is going to Malaysia. It is going all over the world. It is going to Dubai. It is going to Thailand. And one of the ministries that we support, I mean, is, is leading thousands of students to Christ every year. One ministry that we support is raising up missionaries from places all over the world. And because of this money that you give, we give it here. And then they're using it to send out missionaries from Africa, from South America, to have incredible impact all over the world. Let me tell you this. You're a legend. What you are doing when you give is changing the course of history. And what Jesus Christ can do with a bag of a small bag of food, He is doing each and every time you sacrifice a little bit of what He has given you, of your time, of your money, your service, and He is multiplying it in ways that I think we need to take a step back from and realize. Or I mean, I, mean, I guess I could just. I, just, I could just hold on to it. So that way I, I can get the large fry next time. We joke about it. Um, Heidi and I were uh, in, a, in another world would be uh, four months away from empty nesters. We are 11 years and four months away be an empty nester. It's nothing. I'll give 1,100 years away for one moment with that awesome little one and the impact that she has had in our lives. It is a very, very rare thing for anyone to ever look back on their life and say, I wish... I had been less generous. I wish I had used my resources less to make a difference in this world. I wish I had had dessert more when I went out to eat. These are not the things that people think. And it sounds selfish and weird and not the kind of thing that you'd say at church to talk about being legends sounds braggadocious seems like there's relevant bible verses to speak against that except that it's god that's making you a legend this is his plan this was his idea it was his idea to bless those who are generous it was his idea to take what you give and multiply it into worldwide impact for generations to come And that is what he is wanting to do in and through you. So I encourage you right now, as we have our time of reflection and worship, to ask yourself the question, man, what what is it that's holding you back? What's keeping you on the sidelines? What fears and anxieties are keeping you from really getting involved and saying, I'm going to take what God has given me, and I I want want him to see what he's given me. I want to see it multiply in the world. Let's just pray for each other that those, to, to evaporate those fears. And let's pray. Let's pray for our church and this multiplying impact we're talking about. Even back there, 
prayer team would love to pray with you. There's prayer candles, communion, just like always. But I don't know if you ever noticed, there's these little cards there of just a few of our missionaries that are doing incredible things. Just a, just a taste of the impact that you're giving here to this church has. Just grab one, grab one of each of them. Pray for them. Pray for that multiplying effect. Pray that God will continue to do incredible things through them. But let's take a step back and realize the power and the potential of what can happen when we give back to God. Let's pray. (coughs) God, I thank you for that boy. God is a legend. An incredibly outsized impact based on his relatively insignificant life and his relatively insignificant gift. But God, with you, there are no insignificant lives and there is no insignificant gift. You are multiplying gifts and generosity and service all throughout the world for generations to come, for eternity, God. And when we give, when we serve, we change the course of eternity for people. And God, I pray that we would no longer view what we have to give in a small way. But God, that we believe that the same Jesus that multiplied that boy's lunch is doing the same thing with every act of service and every dollar that we give. And God, I pray that we would have that mentality.